you know, for conservation to be impactful and long lasting, it needs to be selfless. You know, you, you can't do it, whatever entity you are, you can't do it alone. You have to have partners. Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm your host, Byron Pace, and this is episode 222 and a modern Huntsman production. I have not one, not two, but three guests on the show today. Tyler Sharp, Editor-in-Chief of Modern Huntsman, joins me in conversation with David Joskowitz, the Executive Director of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, and Katie Spurgeon, the Engagement Officer of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, to discuss their role in conservation, land use, and recreation. And while this may be Texas-centric, there are some fascinating takeaways which are applicable anywhere in the world as we delve into how to protect our wild spaces while also making them accessible for everyone. This episode is an extension of a story that we ran in Volume 10 of Modern Huntsman, presented by Tecovis, all about Stewards of the Wild, which is a program run by the Foundation, and you're going to hear more about that shortly. If you want to read the online article, head over to Modern Huntsman or click the link in the description. There are a handful of other stories presented by Tecovis on the website, which you can read as well. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, Tecovis are most famous for their cowboy boots, but also have a growing range of awesome clothing. They are my daily boot at home, even here in Scotland. And Tyler kindly keeps my second pair in Texas for whenever I'm visiting, and so that I don't have to carry them across the ocean. So we're going to dive into that brilliant conversation just shortly, but two quick things. First up, a thank you to my top-tier Patreon supporters this month, who include Richard McNeil, Ronnie Speakman of RD Contracting, James Marchington, the guys at South Asher Stalking, Dick Ekstroma, Mark Zabrowski, and Leslie Cumming. And just uh, because why not, also a shout-out to the Conservation Hero tier members who are Ellen Freeman, Matthew Nibb, Jens Haig, and Pat May. Thank you so much to all of your support and everyone else who's a supporter as well. If you would like to help support making these shows possible, head over to patreon.com forward slash Byron Pace. And the last thing is I just released a new trailer for my upcoming feature documentary called Paid in Blood. It is on my website now. Head over to byronpace.com and on the left-hand side you will find films and in films you'll find Paid in Blood and all the information along with two trailers, so a new teaser that was just released along with the original fundraiser um, trailer is there as well. Uh, we still have some money to raise for post-production, so if you would like to help bring that film into the reality, and we're pushing on now, the main edit is is done. I'm flying down to Bristol next week to sit with the finishing editor for three weeks, and then we've got to push it on um, to sound, and then sound design, and then coloring. Uh, but we still got some funds to raise to pay for all of that um, post-production that is happening. So. Uh, you can also click, I'll also have a link for it in the description. So head over, read read about the film. If you haven't heard me talk about it on the podcast before, watch the trailers and any support is most welcome. Katie, David, Tyler, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. Uh, it's great to have so many people on the show. It's so often just me and one other person. So this is, uh, this, this is going to be, this is going to be fresh. Um, maybe we could start off just so that everybody can work out who everyone is. Just saying who you are. I mean, people are bored of Tyler because he's on the podcast all the time. Um, but just say who you are and what your kind of title and position is. Tyler, what, we, we kick off with you since people know who you are already, probably. Yeah, I, I think so. But, you know, I, I don't think everybody knows that I've been promoted to head dishwasher. So <laughs> uh, that's a big update in my life. Uh, but, yeah, David, David, if you could uh, introduce yourself, we'd kick it off. Sure. I'm David Yaskowitz, the uh, executive director of Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and uh, head dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, how are you, Katie? And I'm Katie Spurgeon. I'm the engagement manager for Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. No dishwashing involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tyler, maybe a good place to, to kick this off is just to give a bit of background about how you became um, like the only reason I know about, well, the original reason I know about Texas Parks and Wildlife is through you and you and I first met and because of stories that have run in Modern Huntsman. So what was your early engagement with that, apart from the fact that you're from Texas? And then sure. we can feed into where we are today and the stories that we're running and, and what it yeah. all means and what they do and what everybody does. Absolutely. So it all traces back to the uh, very enthusiastic and dedicated Phil Lamb. 
Um, and so, and, and Phil works with Katie at the, at the um, Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. And uh, that's how I was kind of introduced to the work that they do in, in the state, which is, which is my home state. And um, met the Annie Brown, who's the executive director of the foundation. And, you know, we kind of dove into, you know, the, the nuanced background of how the department and the foundation work together. And, um, and obviously David's going to go a little bit more about into the department, but that, that has more to do with the state parks and the game wardens and, uh, and the management of the wildlife resources and the foundation exists to, to fundraise and help support, um, you know, those programs. And, uh, and Katie's going to get more into the stewards of the wild, but that's a, a young group of professionals focused on the outdoors and, and hunting and fishing. I'm, I'm a member of stewards of the wild and, um, and it's just, there's just, just an incredible community and group of people involved in both organizations. And I've been pretty fortunate to develop friendships with, with a handful of people. And, um, you know, I, th- I think that obviously most Texans have a lot of state pride, but then to actually get to, to know some names and, and faces um, of the people who are actually focused on preserving these wild places and wild things is, um, is extra rewarding. And so I think it's just, it's kind of a passion for me to, to try to do whatever we can to be a a microphone to, to some of those things. And that sort of led to some of the, some of the storytelling we've done better, you know, with the podcasts and, and some of the publication stories and, and the short films that we're now working on, um, and stuff like that. So that's kind of the, uh, the segue. So, so David, um, Texas parks and wildlife and the department and your role there, can you expand on that so that people can understand what, what the organization does and what you're spearheading there? Yeah, uh, it is a um, it is a very unique model. There's really only a handful of other states in the United States that have both um, under one entity, one agency, uh, the state parks, as well as the fish and wildlife aspects of management. And I think that you know, for for us in Texas, that's a great opportunity because. Quite honestly, there's a lot of of overlap and a lot of opportunity when you when you have that uh, you know that combination of, of parks and wildlife under under one umbrella. Um, and an example of that is obviously we have a lot of a lot of angling that happens within our state parks. Um, we have a lot of science that happens within our state parks, but we also have hunting opportunities that happen within our state parks. So bringing that all under one agency just creates great opportunity. It's also, you know, in addition, you know, we have game wardens, uh, in each of the 254 counties around the state. Uh, it's a huge and diverse landscape. Um, everything from the trans Pecos of far West Texas, um, where it's, uh, arid desert and sky islands and then down to the piney woods of southeast texas where it's timber you know piney timber and and uh you know to the gulf coast and you know where we have great uh, recreational opportunities for fishing boating boating birding you know so for me coming into this position and my background you know, Byron, this ought to resonate with you a little bit, uh, is, is an, as an economist. And I know that's your background <laughs> as well. Yes. <laughs> there's, yes. There's a few of us out there. Uh, but it's a much uh, more interesting transition doing what you're doing now from pure, pure economics, but it's important. Like the, econo- the uh, as I'm sure you will, we'll probably get into like the economics of actually making all this stuff work for landscape scale conservation is incredibly important. Uh, whether we yeah. like it or not, a lot of it comes back to money. It, it does. It does. And so, you know, my background's in environmental natural resource economics, which I got at Texas Tech University and in, in my, my PhD and master's. So it, it and it does come back to, as you were saying, By- Byron, you know, uh, elucidating the value of conservation. And, and when I say that, uh, sometimes it could have a dollar sign or a euro or, a, you know, yen or whatever it might be in front of it, but also value uh, can be expressed in many other ways. And I think we'll probably dig into that later. So also getting back to your original point, you know, we're a, we're a department that has a little over 3000 individuals that their mission is for uh, managing and conserving our natural and cultural resources for the state, which includes, you know, providing opportunities around hunting, fishing, and recreation. And that's a, uh, with this size state, 
you know, that, that's a large task. We have, you know, really well uh, dedicated individuals that I'm proud to work with. I like that the the combination of natural and cultural resources together as being something that is preserved because that's very encompassing. Yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. We're we're working on Byron's cultural Texas education. <laughs> <laughs> He's gotten good intros. We've we've uh I've, I've toured him around the state as much as I can. He actually got we we were in Big Bend uh for a week uh, back in November, so he got to witness that that whole ecosystem, which was, which was yeah, amazing. Yeah. What a mind. So when you said sky islands, I knew what you were talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, what a, what an incredible place. So the kind of, um, from a, a conservation standpoint, what kind of projects, what kind of things does Texas parks and wildlife, the department get involved in and, and how do you facilitate them? Yeah. You know, so Texas is, is, um, 93 to 95% privately owned, right? So conservation work um, by necessity must involve the private landowners within the state. And um, there are a lot of private landowners that are dedicated to conserving, you know, the natural and cultural resources. And so finding those opportunities is, is not that difficult Funding those opportunities can be a challenge, and that's why you know Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation is such an important partner, along with many others, in helping to uh, realize opportunities of moving private lands voluntarily into uh, wildlife management areas, or state parks, or state natural areas, or even just conservation easements, where the landowner you know wants to continue to work the land, um, but, you know, going forward wants to make sure that the land stays as it is for, you know, generations to come. So it's really about partnerships. You know, one of the things that I've been sharing lately, and this is, you know, wouldn't be of any news to you and your, and your listeners is that, you know, for conservation to be impactful and long lasting, it needs to be selfless. You know, you, you can't do it, whatever entity you are, you can't do it alone. You have to have partners. And so uh, the partnerships with the private landowners, the foundation, as we've talked about, and other environmental natural resource NGOs are what make, you know, doing our job successful. And so um, that's in Texas, that's, that's what conservation looks like, is, is it's built around partnerships. So the relationship between um, the with the foundation is the foundation the fundraising arm of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Is that basically how it's set up? Yes, yes. The foundation is the official nonprofit arm of the department, and we raise private philanthropy to support the mission of the department. Okay. Okay. Yep. And, a and, lot, and a whole lot more and a whole yeah, lot more. yeah and and byron that's um phil is director of philanthropy so phil's you know spearheading a lot of the fundraising um and, and partnerships and programs and stuff like that um based on the directives of the foundation okay okay um is there any um my, my gears returning as you're talking about um how all the conservation initiatives work and all the private land ownership because i've unlike in a lot of the rest of the u.s where that is not the case um, I also live in a country where it's the vast majority is private land ownership. So there's a lot of parallels there. Um, is there any uh, examples of exciting projects that are ongoing or have happened recently that you could give us an example of the, the kind of work that you get involved in? Um, well, I know, you know, something the foundation and the department is wor- are working on together is the opening of our newest state park, Palo Pinto Mountain State Park, which is up near Fort Worth. So very exciting to be so close to a major uh, metro area. And, th- and that's the first state park in 25 years yes. to, to be open. Oh, wow. So that's huge. So that's huge. Oh, yeah. Yep. When, when is that scheduled to open? So there's going to be a soft opening here, <laughs> and then we're hoping for the grand opening next year in 2024. I, I was I was very uh, insistent that you know because we're in the centennial of sure. our state parks uh, this year, and yes. and so we we needed to open up Palo Pinto I this agree. year. I agree. <laughs> yep. Okay. 
Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty close uh, to Fort Worth, so I'll, I'll try to be there for uh, the soft opening uh, as well. Fantastic. We'll keep you updated. Okay. So when you talk about the establishing of a... Uh, because I, I think this is probably quite important to explain for people, particularly outside the U.S., although I imagine there's quite a few people in the U.S. who probably don't understand this either, is there are parks and there are parks. You've got a lot of different designations. So how, how does that work and how do the restrictions work and what avenues of funding does it uh, make available depending on what kind of um, conservation area, more broadly speaking, it is? Because you're not yeah. talking about national park, you said state parks. I'm just making sure people are clear in their minds, particularly state if they're parks. outside the U.S. Yeah, that's yeah. Thanks for that, Byron. Yeah, it's it's state parks. I mean, that's that's in our in our uh, wheelhouse. Um, we do obviously have national parks and national seashores in, in Texas, but what we're talking about is the state parks. But but you you, know, you bring up parks versus parks versus yeah. I, I think for us, it's about getting people outside. And so while the department is busy um, opening up state parks and state natural areas and wildlife management areas, we also have programs that fund local parks um, within, you know, counties or cities because, you know, the important thing is to support those entities that can get people outside as well and recreating. Um, so really, if you think about local parks to state parks to national parks you know we're involved with that full continuum um you know a good example also you were out in the trans pecos out in big bend you know we have our big bend um, ranch state park which is right next door to the national park and and we're looking at opportunities to to bring us even closer um so when we find those opportunities to work together, it just enhances and amplifies the potential impact for recreation uh, and conservation, right? Because, you know, conservation is an important part of when we're, what we're looking at when we bring on new natural areas, state natural areas or state parks. Um, and Palo Pinto is a perfect example of that. Um, the, the physical footprint in the in the state park is very small and the rest of it is is left into its kind of natural setting and i think that's that's a lot of, kind of the ethic that um parks you know over the last 20 years have really tried to become is a smaller physical footprint mm -hmm. and so we're so, we're employing that so what kind of like active um management projects are ongoing in some of these cases that are helping to facilitate some of the conservation rather than just you know designating a safe space if you like i'm looking at i'm looking at katie here are, are you are you talking about like the science behind it or yeah you know any, anything that is helping the the understanding and facilitation of so if i'm thinking of like the protection of for example sagebrush habitat by pulling out trees that are encroaching oh, is an yeah. active management principle you know based on a type of ecosystem that we want to protect uh the there is um you know one of one of the conservation mindsets that exist is you know fence it and keep people out and and it'll take care of itself whereas a lot of what you've been talking about is having people within areas recreating within them and i'm assuming active management as well mm -hmm. yeah that, i think that's right i mean you know here at the department and and also with our um ngo partners right i mean what we're looking at is is getting the the land back to its native condition. So that may involve, as you're saying, pull, in our case, pulling out juniper or cedar, um, planting uh, native grasses, right? Uh, prescribed burning, which is an important part of returning the landscape back to uh, its native condition. So all that happens within our state parks, within our wildlife management areas, happens on private lands as well, which, mm -hmm. is, which is critically important, as I mentioned earlier. And I imagine that it happens at really small scale and then large scale as well. I was talking to some superintendents at state parks last week, and all of them in some way are pulling invasive species, uh, whether that's having a volunteer group of 10 people come in or the yeah. entire work crew they have at the park. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think Byron, you know, before we switch topics or anything like that, you know, David, I think not to, not to have to dig into any details, but I, I think it's important to kind of mention, you know, the side of the work that the department does that I, I think is often overlooked. And, and that's the difficulty in both patrolling, you know, open waters, right. in fishing areas in, in the Gulf of Mexico and also along the, um, the Texas border and, and that you guys work a lot with border patrol and things like that. So, um, maybe just, Talk a little bit about that that side of the work that you guys have to do is is really you know a, a very tall order in terms of wildlife management, anti poaching, law enforcement um, in a huge state with 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 border you know an international border and also water uh, patrol. Yeah, so that's you're you're starting to get into my comfort area there, Tyler. Okay. When we start start talking about the coast, you know, my I mean, I came to Texas Parks and Wildlife um, from the Heart Research Institute for Gulf of Mexico Studies at Texas A&M in Corpus Christi, which, you know, the mission was to, um, you know, really bring the science, both the natural and the human behavioral economic science together in looking at coastal and ocean issues in the U.S., Mexico, and Cuba. And so really kind of this holistic approach to you know, developing the science, doing the science and, and, uh, providing the solutions. And, you know, what we see in working with our, when I was there working with our partners here at the department, well, Texas parks and wildlife department is that, you know, there's a lot of space there. There's a lot of water. Um, and there's a a lot of area to cover and, and our, our game wardens, all 550 of them, you know, they, they cover the 254 counties along with the nine, not up to nine nautical miles in the Gulf of Mexico and beyond working with our federal partners and, and the challenges to be able to cover all that area. Now, over the last handful of years, technology uh, has helped a lot, um, drone technology in, in particular in, in enforcement, but it's still a real challenge, um, especially when we have uh, individuals from Mexico coming into the U.S. as an example and fishing for red snapper, taking that red snapper back to Mexico and then trying to get it back across the border into Texas and sell it um, to restaurants. And, and so there's this, there's this challenge of, of, of trying to manage not only the illegal fishery that's happening, but also you know, the illegal importation of those fish that were originally caught, caught in, in Texas. So it's, it's a very dynamic uh, situation, uh, especially along the, the border with Mexico. And it's a lot of water to cover as, as Tyler mentioned. And, and what about the um, kind of poaching issues inland? Is that a, is that a major issue or is it le- less so because you have so much private ownership? Yeah, no, it, it still exists. And the challenge there is that you'll have you'll have poachers that, that get onto private lands. <clears throat> and, you know, white-tailed deer is a perfect example. Unfortunately, a lot of poachers, there will be poaching that takes place on private lands when the, when the landowner might be an absentee landowner, so they don't know that's even happening. And so, you know, that's that's where the, the game wardens uh, step in with their investigative units and, and just the uh, the county game wardens and and and, you know, having relationships in the community is critical to to be able to do effective enforcement because people will let you know, hey, something's not quite right, you know, down at, you know, Rancher X's property. Um, and so, you know, having those relationships in the community for people to share that information is, is important. You know, one of the things you mentioned was the the importance of making available and encourage people, co- encouraging people to recreate in the great outdoors. One of the discussion points that comes up quite a lot, and it particularly came up um, over COVID, with encouraging people to, or the, the the access of people to national parks, is the one that I'm thinking of in particular, and the and the the weight of footfall in some places. How do you balance encouraging people and, and more people? I mean, we all want more people to appreciate the great outdoors and nature, but at the same time, not negatively impact it. 
So let, I'll start off, then I'm going to hand it off to Katie, because you bring up something really interesting there, Byron, <clears throat> is that when COVID happened, you know, the national parks shut down. In Texas, the state parks stayed open. So we saw a tremendous increase in, in usage of yeah. the state parks because the national parks that exist in Texas were, were, were shut down. And so we stepped in as, as best as we could. But you're right. I mean, the demand for outdoor activity, recreational opportunity continues to increase. And I'm just going to throw out one figure and I'm going to uh, have Katie jump in here is that we're going to have by the most aggressive figures, which I believe 25 million more Texans here by 2050. Mm-hmm. That we're at 30 million today. So you can imagine the impact on the landscape, but then also the de- increased demand for hunting, fishing, camping, backpacking, bird watching activity is, is going to grow tremendously. And so that's mm-hmm. that's a front of mind for me. And I know for, for Katie as well. Yeah, I think the a huge part of that is education and awareness. That's what we're trying to do through Stewards of the Wild is help educate people about the outdoors. And we want you to get outdoors, but we also want you to become a conservation leader and teach other people how to uh, responsibly use, you know, our natural resources. So I think that's a huge piece. And I think that's a huge challenge as well, especially as the population increases so rapidly. Yeah. And I think that, I think that aligns nicely, you know, um, what we see kind of the really today's, um, hunter, angler, outdoor recreationist, you know, aligning, um, obviously with stewards of the wild and their, and their mission, but also, you know, uh, modern huntsmen is, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's where we want to take that. They're not only, you know, using the resource, they're conserving the resource. Mm-hmm. They're helping restore it when it's degraded, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's the ethic that we want to encourage. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I, there's a, it's, it's a good opportunity to expand on Stuarts of the Wild, but just before we get to that, how, how do we, how, how do you then with that, with that burden, that extra human burden on the landscape, how do you then fund the facilitation of the extra um, infrastructure that you need to support those people? Where does that funding come from? If we're, we're looking at an extra 25 million people, you can't look after those people in the great outdoors with, unless your funding also increases. Right. And I think that's where the foundation will come in and other partners and, and private philanthropy comes in and you have to lean on on that because you can't just depend on state funding, unfortunately. And, and you know, a, f- a handful of years ago, um, Byron, we had uh, passed in the state a constitutional amendment that dedicated part of our uh, sporting goods or all of our sporting goods sales tax to the department for um, land acquisition operations, et cetera, for state parks. And that never, that, that wasn't in existence before. So is that and, just in Texas? Uh, this, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know about other states if they have, they, other states have something similar, but this, this was new to Texas okay. in terms of this dedicated funding. And that is, that's a game changer. And it's only mm-hmm. really in the last couple of years that we've had the funds to be able to do that. So because of that dedication, let me give you, get, just give you an example. We're going to be able to uh, open, starting with Palo Pinto later this year, uh, open a state park or state natural area about one every two or three years. And so that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's a game changer. But remember, we're going to have 25 million more people here by mm-hmm. 2050. Yeah. So that, that while that's great, um, we also need to get busy and start thinking about right. additional opportunities. And there's some other initiatives that people are working on, like Rawa and, you know, yeah, there, yeah. some others. But yep. as for now, that's what we have. Um, I think, Katie, to, to switch or, or dive a little bit more into stewards, I know I gave a very um, brief kind of overview, but I think that obviously this ties into the story we had in, in Volume 10, but maybe just give us a, a little bit more of a, a detailed rundown of, you know, the program, uh, with Stewards of the Wild, and then you know how the chapters work independently, but then also collectively, and uh, and and you know some of those details of the type of events and, and things you guys put together. 
Sure. Uh, thanks, Tyler. Uh, so Stewards of the Wild is a program of Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. And our mission is to get young professionals age 21 to 45. You know, we won't check your ID, though. Uh, outdoors <laughs> and engaging with, with conservation. And not only that, but creating a pipeline of conservation leaders through stewards who can then help engage other people, you know, whether that's their friends, their family, or strangers uh, in the outdoors and, and conservation. And so there, it was started in 2013 uh, by the foundation, and there are chapters across the state. So we've got chapters in most of the major metro areas like Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, Houston. Uh, and then we've got some in Abilene, Midland. Uh, we've been talking about perhaps a Corpus Christi Soon chapter. in Corpus Christi, yes, <laughs> we need to do that. Um, coastal, we need a coastal chapter. I, I agree. <laughs> and then we've got a statewide chapter too for the individuals who are not in a major metro area so they can still stay involved. And so the chapters put on events and so does the statewide program. And the events range from social networking events like happy hours to outdoor events like um, paddling the Devil's River for five days, uh, dove hunts, duck hunts, fishing opportunities, camping trips, uh, hiking, birding trips. You know, they really range. There's a, there's a wide range there, but they're all so much fun. Everyone is so welcoming. Everyone is there for the same reason. That's because they care about the outdoors. Um, so that's really what Stewards is, and uh, let me know how else I can expand on that. Yeah, well, I think you know, Katie, all those yeah. things, you know, listing such a diverse range of of ways to interact with the outdoors is is very unique, and and obviously it's um, very similar to our mission as well, right? Trying to showcase and provide points of access for people of of all different backgrounds and histories and all those kinds of things, um, because people, you know, there's different, there's a lot of different ways people like to engage with nature and. I think that, um, you know, me having a, a girlfriend who's, you know, only, only recently gotten into hunting in the last year. Um, I know that the, the atmosphere in the community at Stewards of the Wild is something that really, um, kind of clicked a light on for her to, to think that, you know, there was a group of people that she could go, you know, to with, with your, um, season, the, the dove opener kickoff, the, the, the event you guys had at the Beretta Gallery in Dallas, um, you know, going to the store and, and she got to meet a lot of interesting young people. And I think she got maybe four or five offers um, to, to be uh, for, for someone to mentor her, right. To, or to take her out on this or to take her out on that. And I remember at the end of the event, she was like, okay, well, I don't know what you've got going on this year, but I've got several hunts. Planned <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I so that. I think that, I think that, you know, we talked about it a little bit in, in the interview we, we did with you. Um, uh -huh. online but i think that that's such a, a great focus and 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 really probably isn't something i mean it's, it's something you could have hoped for but it's not something you can sit down and make an outline for like hey here's how these people are going to make these connections at these events so right. maybe just talk a little bit about that side of it and sort of the organic social evolution and and, and development that's happened as a result of that Sure, sure. So, I mean, we have the formal, we have our formal mentored hunting program, which is fantastic. And that's what it's made for to get people who either have no experience hunting or they used to hunt when they were little, but have no clue how to do it on their own as an adult. Um, so we have that, but then, yeah, there's this, this beautiful organic, um, thing that's happened where everyone just wants to help each other. And if they meet someone who doesn't have experience, but they're interested, they want to take them, you know, say it's duck hunting. For example, I went on my first duck hunt just recently here a couple months ago, um, or a month ago, and it was incredible. There were all these people there, you know, even though I'm the one overseeing the program, they still wanted to just help me figure out how to duck hunt and, you know, get it done and learn something and have fun while I was doing it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's incredible. The people that are involved, they're just so generous. I, yeah, I'm just wondering whether yeah. if you're not from Texas, whether you can become a member, cause it looks freaking awesome from all the people I know. Who are involved. Well, I had that question, Byron, yesterday <laughs> before, and I was like, well, I want to say yes. 
but I don't know how you'd come to the events. You know, I want to say yes. Oh, I got no problem. There's planes. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want to down to the Dove opener in, in Albany? Come on, you're welcome. Everyone. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that because uh, yeah. uh, after reading Jillian's story, um, and then obviously I knew a little bit um, anyway from from Tyler and uh-huh. and speaking to Phil too. Um, it just seems brilliant, and and what a what an amazing atmosphere and um, camaraderie between people, mm-hmm. encouraging and very willing to help, which is so nice yeah. to see. Mm-hmm. Well, Byron, cool. I've I've got a seat for you. So <laughs> okay. Done. Yeah, Byron's an honorary Texan, and he's over quite a bit. So um, I leave my cowboy boots at Tyler's house. So. Yes, he has he has some boots that are, live in my closet. But uh, but no, I think you know to to touch on that story a little bit, um, Katie. You know, Jillian, who wrote the story, and, and our friend Kristen, who photographed. Um, you know, Jillian's obviously a very experienced outdoors woman. She lives in Idaho, and they you know train their own bird dogs and hunt that and hunt elk and make you know jewelry and all kinds of things. So. It was, it was interesting to send her in. Um, and there's a funny quote from the story where when she was meeting people and members of Stewards of the Wild, and they had asked her if she'd ever been dove hunting before, and she said yes. And they go, well, but have you ever dove hunted in Texas? And she said no. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you've never been dove hunting then. <laughs> so I, I think that, um, you know, the element of, yeah, there's something that can just be considered an activity versus there's something that has an incredibly rich history and tradition around, um, that's become, you know, it's become its own flavor and its own spice. And I think that that was really amazing to see her enter into this and be like, she was like, what the heck is a, is a Kalachi and what the heck is a Texas Christmas? And so to, to have everybody sort of, um, energetically and wholeheartedly trying to, um, show her the best possible time, but also you know, positive light on what it's all about. And obviously everybody has a different opinion of that or everyone has different memories. Um, but maybe, yeah, I, th- I think, did you, you got to meet her, right? Yes, of course. She's yeah. amazing. Um, so yeah, I think that, that side of it too is, you know, stewards, I think has a really unique, um, I don't, I don't know if I know if I should, swagger is the right word, but there's just, there's a, there's like a, you know, sort of a personality to this organization that I think is rare beyond, you know, some of the other bigger conservation organizations and, and things like that. And, um, and I think that goes a long way into ultimately pointing towards, you know, David and the department's goals of having more people recreate and get in the outdoors. If there's yeah. a cool group, a cool organization of young people having a good time, uh, what better way to try to attract and get people out into these state parks and, and, um, you know, access areas. Right, exactly. And I do want to say, I think sometimes people are intimidated by stewards of the wild because uh, they think everyone in the group is an expert or, you know, has 20 years plus of hunting experience, which is not true. It's so welcome, welcoming to everyone, whether you have experience or, not or you are just moved from you know Maine or you have lived in Texas for 25 years so I just want to make sure people understand it's it's open to everyone and we will welcome you yeah and I think you you know it's it's um it's it's low cost in terms of you know kind of uh the physical and emotional investment right Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the dollars it's like come as you are Mm-hmm. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Come as you are. There's a community here mm-hmm. around you that's willing to take you in and help you get where you want to go. And, exactly. and you know, that that's it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's my own story, right? I mean, I grew up, um, you know, backpacking, camping, fishing, but I didn't start hunting until I um, was up in the panhandle at Tech. Mm-hmm. And it was somebody that, and Stewards of the Wild, Stewards of the Wild wasn't in, in existence there, mm-hmm. but it was somebody that just mentored me. Said one day, David, you want to go dove hunting? Mm-hmm. I said, Shh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then it just, you know, <laughs> went off it's the rails from there. there. Yeah, yeah. Right. No going back. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's somebody that just says, "Hey, come with me." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I I think the nice thing, uh, not that I've done it, but um, I've done hunting that uh, is similar in fashion to the um the sort of the the community involvement of a dove hunt mm-hmm. where it's quite relaxed you can have conversations you don't have to be quiet there's you, know, you can tell stories and 
and partake in the activity at the same time. So it's very much about the people that you're with as much as it, as it is about the thing that you're doing. I think that's a, it's a brilliant stepping stone into that world is something like a dove hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. When am I going on my next dove, when, my dove hunt, Tyler? That's real. Uh, yeah, we'll work <laughs> on that. It might, we might have trouble because we're going to be back in Scotland in September this year. So oh, okay. we'll, we'll figure something out though. But there's splits there, you know, there's, there's, there's seasons run, you know, there's a split and the, and then a, another second half of the season, you know, in True. late December and, and January, although, although it's the opening weekends that are the big, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's what, that's what I know he's talking about. He wants to yeah. be there for the big group get together and the dancing and, and the, the dinners yeah. and all that fun stuff. So. I was just going to say that I was I was just reading down the the email to just see if I, there was some stuff that I'd I'd missed out and I noticed at the bottom I'm um, just I think this is very impressive so I'm going to read it out that since 1991 that the foundation has raised more than 235 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I, yeah. Yeah, That's I mean, staggering. <clears throat> well, I, yeah. I I I will say and I mentioned this, you know, the the foundation had their board meeting last week and um at the dinner that evening um, they asked me to say a few words and I, and, and I was very sincere about this when I said, you know, one of the important factors in my consideration of, of becoming the executive director of Texas parks and wildlife was the, the existence, not just the existence, but the impact that the foundation has had not only on the department, but on the conservation space in Texas. Mm -hmm. And, and that to me, Having that um, level of commitment from the team at the foundation, from the board members, mm-hmm. for, from those that give to the foundation uh, gave me comfort in that there's a lot of people that are pushing down the same road and, um, and, and made my decision easier. Not, not, that, not that the decision was going to be difficult, <laughs> but it just gave me more comfort of course. for sure. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and the foundation has had excellent leadership on the board side and the staff side for many, many years. I can't take much credit there. Um, and it's well, you're an important part impressive. of that, Katie. Yeah, but what you're doing is well, hugely thanks. impactful. Thanks. It's yeah. it's really impressive, though, and it's it gives me hope too. Yeah. A, a question to 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 both of you would be: What do you see as the the kind of biggest challenges and or threats um, in Texas, obviously, because that's your focus, but more broadly, if you'd like, um, to being able to protect wild spaces and the ecosystems and have landscape scale management at the same time as having people in the landscape and enjoying it. And I think that that's one of the things that I find um, so rich and refreshing about the work that you guys do is that that's at the core of it because so often the discussions when we talk about more broadly conservation around the world i i've been seeing a shift it's not it's not something that's new it it existed decades ago but i've been seeing a shift definitely back towards this very protectionist view um, that excludes and and in fact extracts people from the landscape which is the exact opposite of what you're talking about Mm -hmm. That that's <clears throat> that's into, interesting, Byron. Yeah, putting putting up fences and walls and keeping people out rather than yeah, them, it's like them in. yeah, it's you know, it's it is the John Muir view of the world. <laughs> well, that's where a lot of that sort of came from, and yeah. we see it still happening today in Africa. Um, we, I see it happening l- ten miles from my doorstep here. That's much to do with much more to do with um, carbon sequestration than it is about um, ecosystem management at all. But where large areas of land are being bought up, they put fences, they kill all the deer, they plant the trees, and they kick all the people out. Mm-hmm. And there's not really any place for recreation there. There's certainly no protection of, um, if you want to call it cultural heritage, when it comes to what we would call field sports, your hunting and fishing in that landscape. So I'm curious to know. Um, what kind of threats you see for that in, in Texas and if you're concerned and any measures that are, I, supp- I suppose the work that you're doing are the measures that are in place to try to protect that. But is there something that is of particular concern that either of you see? So, I, I mean, I would go back to where we started this conversation and, and that's the background that both you and I share on, on, on the economics. 
uh, and and the value. And for me, it's about how, how do you cre- how, how do you create a vested interest? And I'm not talking yeah. about putting you know your dollars down, but how do you create a vested interest and ask somebody to be a conservationist if they aren't connected to the landscape? Mm-hmm. And so very when hard you, when you put up the walls and you put up the fences you're asking somebody to do something that they have no connection to. And, and, and here in this state, we take absolutely the opposite. And, and I think, you know, most of the, most of the U S conservation community is, is of the like mind, most, not all that, um, you know, you want to get people on the landscape. You want to get them, their, their hands in the soil, Mm -hmm. so to speak. You want to get their, their feet and their fingers dirty. Um, because then you ask them, okay, you've enjoyed this. It's important to you. Now step up, right? And we, and we need to, you know, Texas, 25 million more people here are going to be highly urbanized, that growth, mm-hmm. um, more potential disconnection from the landscape. You know, it's going to take a, a, a lot of effort to get them uh, fully connected, but we can't put up walls. We can't put up fences. Mm-hmm. And and then expect a, a different result out of out of individuals when it comes to conservation. Yeah, I think a, a lack of hands on education is yeah. is a real threat. And you know, someone like me, I just got lucky who ha- has a father that's obsessed with the outdoors and took me from the time I was you know six months old, took me fishing and got my hands dirty, you know, I got lucky, (laughs) but so many people don't have that. And we don't have any formal education system that allows people to do that unless they already are interested in it. And, you know, you don't have to want to go hunt, you don't have to want to go fish, but you need to understand it and care about it. Yeah, 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 no, it's so important. I mean, vested interest is right is the gateway to caring about the world around you um and the only way you can do that is if you've got the feet your feet on the ground and david you mentioned this we we didn't really dig into it but uh towards the start which is kind of connected to this which is that how do we value landscapes and how do we value the the natural capital that is within those landscapes truly because i think if we had if we actually had better systems for valuing that a lot of our problems would go away because we'd realize how much we would lose we only really understand dollar amounts, but how much we would lose if we don't um, care for it. So some of that challenge is making people appreciate what the true value of our natural capital is. You no, know, you're absolutely right. I think this would be a great uh, other, you know, segment or not segment, but another uh, opportunity for a podcast just to dig into that. Oh, I'm totally we, done with that. It's one of my, can, it's, can, it's one of my like areas of interest. So <laughs> we can do we that can another time. a lot of time talking about that for sure. I, it, but just, I think for me, and I've been, you know, Byron, I've been d- trying to do this effectively for two and a half decades. Um, and it's tough, you know, when you start talking about humans and human behavior, uh, and their connection to, uh, landscapes, the natural resources and the environment, it's tough, but you're right. I mean, decisions, so many decisions are made based on the dollar, the yen, the euro, the pound, whatever <clears throat> it might be. And a lot of the the natural side of things is left out of those cons, uh, conversations because it's, so, because it's hard to value, right? It's yeah. hard to put, put the dollar, the yen, the pound, euro, et cetera. And so, you know, the, the natural side needs a voice. And, you know, we're better off today in, in trying to do that with with our tools but it's mm-hmm. still a difficult job um and uh I've, I've been working on it for like i said for over two and a half decades and it's and i as an economist and i think you would appreciate this too i, th- I think it's we have to be very careful about you know when we do that kind of work that we're we're very comfortable in the values if we're going to go ahead and put a dollar value out there uh, we're comfortable in sharing those values that we can, you know, we're, we're, we have it backed up by strong methodologies and strong science, because the last thing we want to do is have it, you know, uh, be torn apart uh, because of, you know, sloppy work. And yeah, I've seen uh, plenty of sloppy work out there. Oh, there's lots of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all need to take a leaf out of Bhutan's book where they mm. uh, value their 
their national wealth through natural capital, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. So I, I would encourage us to have another conversation. Definitely well, let's do it. This topic. <laughs> let's do it. Um, Tyler, is there anything? That, I know we, we at the end there, we've kind of gone a little off topic, but that is how the next podcast is going to start. I think Absolutely. we've found our hook. Is there, is there anything Thanks that we've... Uh, Perfect. <laughs> anything we've missed out, Tyler, that we, we wanted to try and um, cover on this show? I don't think so. I think that, you know, obviously... I would encourage listeners to um, to read the story, right, in Volume Ten about about the tradition of dove hunting in Texas. Um, obviously, it's in print in Volume Ten, then it's it's online now as well. Um, but I think that you know, Katie, is there anything in the coming months or or this year that you're particularly excited about? And and now that now that we've officially on the record established that people not in Texas can be stewards members. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Perhaps perhaps there's some listeners who might want to be honorary stewards and, and come to these events. So is there anything coming up in the near future? Yeah. Um I think two things I'm very excited about this year. This year is actually the 10th anniversary of the stewards program. So that's huge. Um, and we've got a Devil's River paddling and fishing trip coming up in April that I'm incredibly excited about. It's going to be a five-day, four-night guided trip wow. with fatties on the fly, uh, one of the remote areas in, in Texas. And I'm excited. I've never been down there. So that's happening. We've still got some spots left if anyone is interested. And then, of course, we've got our Dove opener on September 8th and 9th, which I'm very excited about. 10th anniversary, go big or go home. We're going to have <laughs> 200 hunters out there in Albany wow. this year. Um, it's going to be a great time. Awesome opportunity to meet other people who are like-minded and interested in some of the similar things that you might be interested in. So uh, I'd encourage anyone out there who's interested to come make the trip to Albany in September. Brilliant. Yeah. It, it looked like a good time. I wish I could have been there. We <laughs> missed you. I you know. Try to make it this year if you can. I will. Yes. Not, um, yeah, we'll FaceTime you in. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be worse. Like, look at all the fun you're missing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well da David, Katie, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I, I understand it much better than I did when I uh, then I went into this conversation, which is brilliant. And I'd uh, I'll stick all the links for how to find all of the different things that we've talked about uh, in the show notes, so people can click through and read more if they want. Right, it was great. Thank you, Byron. Yeah, it was, it was great being here. Thanks, Tyler and Byron. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll definitely do a po yeah. podcast part two at some point. Yeah, I'm gonna hold you. I'm gonna hold you both to that. I'm gonna say, hey, let's let's get on scheduling this a few months from now, uh, just so that we can get it on the on the official record. Yeah, well, maybe maybe we can do it in person, Tyler. One that's time true. when I'm in Texas. Let's let's yeah. that's better. Let's do that. Yeah, I think so. David Byron's gonna be over here in the spring in uh in March, so maybe we'll um we'll 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 take a trip down to Austin and come do it in person. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.